Global, sparking innovative thoughts. Welcome to another episode of TechSauce Global Podcast with me, Kupei or Chao Rajung Jiranon, the Global Content Editor of TechSauce Media. Today, we're going to take a look at the automobile industry in terms of what's happening for the year, the end of the year 2019, and the future for 2020. And with us, we have Roland Folger, the President and CEO of Mercedes-Benz Thailand in Vietnam. Hi, nice um, to meet you. Nice to talk to you. Texas is really feeling a lot of privilege and luxurious right now to be sitting with you. Oh, you shouldn't. <laughs> um, so let's start with a very broad question. Um, mm -hmm. What are the auto trends in Southeast Asia that you're expecting for 2020? Well, at the very forefront of that development is naturally the overall I would say macro political situation and economical situation and there as you know with trade wars happening there is a lot of debate at the moment going on in Southeast Asia of what will be the future role and usually what happens is that that kind of insecurity of what's going to happen translates also into our business as well. But that being said I think the overall and very important uh, aspect of our business here will be the transition into going electric. And uh, I think this is the biggest challenges, uh, one of the biggest challenges that we're facing in the automotive industry in the last 135 years since the invention of the automobile. So uh, of course we're excited because we've been waiting for this quite a long while, we've been preparing for this quite a long while. And the fact, uh, if you look into our investments and what we have been doing in Thailand as Mercedes-Benz, I think speaks for itself. You know, it's interesting, I wanted to ask you about um, the, the trade war just mm -hmm. a little bit before we get into yeah. you know, okay. the EV uh, mm -hmm. and the future uh, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners want to know how has the impact been with the you know the issue between China and uh, the United States mm -hmm. on your company well there is as a maximum I would say there's an indirect input uh, or impact on our business because frankly speaking we have our local manufacturing here uh, for the past four decades we've been one of the first companies that moved into Thailand uh, from the luxury industry in total um, and we have a strong following for us what works really well is quite a significant customer database that we have accrued over the last decades and that helps especially in difficult times um, again, that being said, uh, what you need to take into consideration is that our customers at the moment, who usually are business owners or are, they are in leading functions in the Thai industry, that they are at the moment a little bit waiting and seeing of what's going to happen with this trade war. My personal belief, frankly speaking, is, is that uh, after a first initial period, I think Southeast Asia will come back stronger than ever before. Uh, because you still have a lot of things going for you, you have well-educated uh, young people, you still have very low cost in comparison to the rest, and it doesn't matter that much actually in the US, or in, because they're not going to be your competitor directly anyway. But it will help, I think, once, you, once the dust has settled, so to speak, uh, that we can become more clear of uh, what's going to be the benefit. And I see countries like Vietnam, but also mm -hmm. Thailand, mm -hmm. very, very strongly developing already in the short or midterm future. And I think that is the signal that also our customers are waiting for, because once that pops up again and once that uh, starts to move 
further forward, I think we will see continuous growth rates as we've seen them in the past decade. Well, you know, Thai's eco Thailand's economy has been hit in terms of, a, you know, there, we've seen a significant slowdown. Mm -hmm. uh, has that had an impact on you or is it not so much of an issue because you're a luxurious you know, brand and you're at the upper segment. Yeah. Well, on on the, I would say on the top side of it, you would think that our customers are more independent from that development, but they're all businessmen, or most of them at least are businessmen. So they know where they're going to put their investment. And with a car, you usually have the opportunity to delay your, your selling or your buying, sorry, for another half a year without any pain. So that's what maybe a lot of people are doing. Uh, but still, I think we're looking very positively forward to, 2000, uh, to 2019 as a year overall. We are pretty sure that we can do another best ever year, also in Thailand, certainly in Vietnam. Um, but uh, I think it's a little bit more of a harder struggle than it used to be. Mm. And uh, I think that's what we're feeling predominantly. Yeah, and that is a challenge because at the same time, let's enter into the exciting news of mm. electric vehicles, mm -hmm. EV. You've already kind of set your footprint into Thailand, uh, you know, you've worked with the uh, National Science and Tech Development Agency mm -hmm. and the uh, electrical and electronic products testing here in Thailand uh, to to test, to test EV and mm -hmm. lithium battery. Mm -hmm. How has it been so far in that uh, progress? I think uh, very, very interesting because uh, Again, in Thailand, as in other countries around the world, everybody is doing it for the first time. So nobody really is prepared or is can really say that they know what was coming. We're all together, the industry as well as the administration in various countries are detecting how big of a change in technology, uh, technology that really is. Um, so what we can contribute to this whole debate is that we bring our experience from a worldwide sales organization but also from a dominant uh, player in the electric field. We can bring that information also to the Thai market and that's I think at the moment what makes sense to debate with the government as well, sharing that kind of a that kind of a way of thinking, uh, the pre preparation of a country for going uh, so strongly into electric move. And mind you, I mean, we've been here in Thailand due to the very favorable tax structure. We've been basically one of the largest market for Mercedes-Benz worldwide as far as plugins are concerned. Yeah? So we're in the top five markets on a worldwide level. Um, and that is for a country that is only 70, 80 million people, that's saying quite a lot, actually. Mm. Uh, so it's more depending on the direction that the government gives in their policies, in their way of moving forward, that helps us then to become a bigger contributor. And that way we can bring technology that you normally would have only in highly, highly developed countries, we can bring to Thailand and start the same process here. So that's why we have started, for instance, production of our local plug-in hybrid batteries already in this country. Yeah, it's, it's a definitely a big issue that the government needs to play a big role because you, you might have EVs on the road, but then you need infrastructure to support that. Yes, I mean, yes. We are seeing electric cars uh, uh, in on the road, mm. but then there are concerns about oh, how, how are you going to yeah. you know, make a drive to the beach or yeah. you know, outside the city. Yeah. Uh, how far do you think we are to the point where you'll see a significant, significant amount of people driving electric cars? I don't think we're there yet mm -hmm. um, because in in contrast to what we see with the technology on internal combustion engines where everybody thinks that at least to a large degree they understand how that works 
in fully electric cars, the game changes quite dramatically. What you just mentioned was range anxiety, you know, and then the question is um, how much is your network, uh, road network already developed, how far to the next charging station and is all of that clear? And I think we're still very far away from that. But let's not think only in one direction because for the longer distance driving, if you want to go up to Chiang Mai, at the moment I would say a plug-in hybrid is the much better solution because it makes you independent from charging on a highway. And as a country, as a government, you don't have to invest heavily in electrifying your major road network. Um, so to stay and remain on plug-in hybrids for the foreseeable future is certainly a very, very valid alternative for full uh, we call them BEVs, full electric vehicles. And uh, that means for us, we see the predominant usage of full electric vehicles predominantly in cities and surroundings. Mm. Yeah. So that also will be important in the beginning that you have a plan that you can explain to customers on how the electric charging network will grow. It doesn't need to be there right from the very beginning, but it needs to be set up. You need to have the proper policies. You might even need to change of law where Besides the official sources so far that could sell electric energy, now you authorize also other parts to sell electric energy. This needs to become a full-fledged program and a policy in itself in order to make this work. But again, everybody needs to wrap their heads around this, what the new challenges are going to be. And I just mentioned the network, uh, that came from you. But there is also issues, I mean, they sound simple, but uh, for the rescue workers, for the firefighters, how would you douse a fire of an electric vehicle? Uh, you need to train specifically for that because you cannot simply use water. There is, the there is the danger of electrification. There is the danger of that the fire will continue with water and not stopped, but getting worse. Um, and there is lots of things that people would need to be trained on. You need to do testing. Uh, one of our major concerns is the proper testing in the production process in itself. We are trying to convince the, uh, the, the government that um, a local assembly of battery packs is not the most sensible thing to do because that's a rather, sorry, primitive technology. Mm. The next level up is actually how do you optimize software systems, steering systems that get the most in performance out of your electric vehicles or for that matter uh, testing. Mm. The testing that needs to happen with a, within the battery assembly process is manifold more complex time-consuming and expensive than you have at the moment in a normal ICE, uh, internal combustion engine. Because you can't see inside the battery and know what's going to happen as you can with a normal engine. Yeah. It's like a full circle change that we're going to have to say. Adoption, yes. like you have both the manufacturing, the yeah. specs of the, the vehicle, then you have the, the roads, how you're going to feel it, and you have to educate the people. Plus, yeah. what's going to happen with recycling? You know, I mean, we're not talking about small little AAA batteries anymore. Mm -hmm. We're mm -hmm. talking about huge chunks of 650 kilograms of battery that if you just let it seep into your environment is highly poisonous. So you think that it's worth to go that direction? I think we, frankly because speaking, don't have, a we don't have a chance. Mm -hmm.
Mm. We don't have a chance if we want to get pollution out of our cities. Mm. You need to have an alternative within the cities. And I think that in the majority of cities that are growing at the pace that you see in Southeast Asia, in your mega cities that you have here, as in Bangkok, there is no alternative to the individual traffic. You cannot simply replace everything with buses because that last mile connectivity is simply not going to be there. So as long as you need individual traffic systems, you will not get away from cars, but you can replace the majority of them with electric vehicles. Mm. Yeah, that's possible. That would be possible also once we have a proper charging network. It's easier and less expensive to do that within the cities, and you have a much much better control over what's happening there. Well, let's take a look at the time frame then. Mm. <laughs> How many years do you think? We're, we'll starting next, we're starting next year. Um, we are basically ready. We have already planned to start in 2020 with the first fully uh, built up vehicles to import them into the country. We're waiting at the moment from BOI to get an approval over the amount of vehicles that we want to do. This is not the future because we have already committed to start production in the following year. Um, and I think that's the biggest change for us because all of that, what we do, comes on top of our normal business. So we're not replacing complexity here with another complexity, we're adding complexity at a massive scale. And the company and the brand that will do that better than others is going to be the one that is still around 30 years from now. <laughs> and talking about adding on that complexity, I have to ask yeah. you about autonomous you know, self-driving cars. Mm -hmm. It seems a bit far now after you talk about the development of EVs and yeah. you know it's going to take so long to get to that point. How about the autonomous car? Is it a different timeline that we're talking mm -hmm. about then? A or very different timeline because this is not only dictated by technology and the advancement of technology, this is strongly dictated by local laws. Yeah, because at the moment most laws say you have to have a driver who is in command of the vehicle at all and every time. Uh, you're supposed to hold the steering wheel all of the time, which does not give you really the advantages of an autonomous car. Yeah. Mm. So in order to get there, the government needs to change and each and every government is going through that phase as well. In to which degree will they allow a mix on their streets of cars that are self-driven and people-driven? Yeah. And in my announcement just now that I did, I think the biggest challenge is how will they interact? Because at the moment you come to an intersection and you can look at the other person and between human beings there is a connectivity there that gives you an idea of what the other guy or lady is gonna do next. Mm. If you're looking at the car without a normal steering and there is no person there, how will you know what that is gonna do next? Yeah, That needs to be bridged um, you talk about the interaction between autonomous cars and regular drivers. Yep. Are you talking about autonomous cars with each other? No, autonomous cars with each other is the simplest thing. Yeah, but between human beings and, and an autonomous car, that's going to be difficult. Mm. Yeah. Because how is, that gonna, is the, how is the uh, autonomous car announcing what it's going to do next? Yeah. And um, then you have naturally the issue of uh, safety. Uh, or even legality. Now, if there's an accident between an autonomous car and a driver, normal driver-driven car, if that goes to court, who's at fault? Because normally you would put more understanding into the driver and the computer because they don't make mistakes per se, unless they have been wrongly programmed. So the question is also, who is in charge now, legally speaking, if the car is doing something dangerous or wrong. This Would that be the, the manufacturer? Yes. Would it be the manufacturer mm. or the driver? Mm. And then all of these things 
in the normal circumstances have not been really qualified to the very end. So I think we're all trying to find a way through that. Um, and there is simple solutions because you said before, and I think that is an approach that everybody is taking. Everybody is thinking about a car taking you from, from Bangkok to Chiang Mai fully autonomous. That's not the point in the beginning. It starts much, much easier. It starts when you drive on a highway and your car locks onto the car in front of you and you can take your hands off the steering wheel. It will follow that car however fast and where it goes. The next thing, however, that is much, much more convenient is that in the future um, you might go to a restaurant and you step out of your car in front of the restaurant Then you tell the car to go and park itself. It will go to a parking lot somewhere in the, in the nearby, lock itself, stand there waiting. When you leave the restaurant, you call the car, it will come and pick you up. That is already the first stretch uh, of autonomous driving and this is where everybody immediately sees the benefits. Yes, yeah. it so would it, be great not, if it worked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean you Especially know, for you shopping malls. Shopping malls is certainly something. <laughs> then when you're standing outside, it's starting to rain. There's lots of convenience features and this is pretty easy to do because it's all within city driving. It's not really high speeds. So when you start to think about use cases, then that develops rather quickly. It seems as if we, everyone is in the same journey, you know, towards that development for EVs, for autonomous cars. Uh, but we're still on our way to that, that turning point where things are going to change significantly. Mm -hmm. yeah. I have to ask you, how many years do you think we'll get to that point where, you know, you know, mm -hmm. it's a switch. Yeah. People are, are seeing a definite significant change. Mm -hmm. I mean, a decade? No. Two decades? Five years. Five years. Five years? Because if you look at the speed of technological change that we have been going through, that's now in years and not in decades anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at mobile phones, I mean, I still grew up when you had to have a tabulator to do mathematical calculations, yeah? And everybody said, well, you know, you have to learn your mathematics by rote, you know, seven times seven is 49, things mm -hmm. like that. We learned still in school mm -hmm. because you, you didn't have your computer with you all the time. In the meantime, you do. Yeah, and these changes and, and using a small little metal box or plastic box to basically run your life from communication, networking, uh, reminding you of meetings and giving you the chance to call anybody in the world, that transition happened in less than five years. Yeah. Wow. That's and exciting. that's the exciting part of it, and I think the same thing will happen. Are you getting me too excited? <laughs> oh, no, we've been excited <laughs> for the last five years already, so sometimes it's difficult to keep up the pressure. Well, on that way to the journey, I mean, we've seen disruption in various sectors yeah. with technology, innovation, corporate innovation, working with startups. Are you part of that change? Is that part of that change happening with your company and the automobile sector? It's happening on each and every part of that front. It's happening in retail. You know, how do we sell cars in the future? Yeah, do we still continue that you have to go to the dealership and purchase your vehicle there? Uh, you look into bookstores. Thailand is one of the few exceptions in the world that I think where you still have large bookstores. The rest of the world doesn't buy books anymore in stores. They don't we buy books at all. We love paper. <laughs> and it's good. <laughs> no, believe me, believe me, that's very, very good. But it, it basically, if you see the change, how yes. fast that happens, and people not even buying paper anymore, but basically going directly on Kindle and other technologies, 
it's, it's happening fast whether you like it or not. And I think the same thing is just around the corner for the automotive industry as well. What is your advice for other corporates that may be listening on, you know, working with uh, startups mm -hmm. and making that digital transformation from, from the lessons that you learned and the success that you've had? Copy what we do. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, no, I think, I think everybody, every company needs to find their own approach on how to do these kind of things. I think at the heart of this is the being prepared for change not looking back and said just because this worked now for five decades that this will also therefore work in the future i think that's the wrongest approach you can take so getting your team your people your your suppliers uh, getting your stakeholders in our case also our retail partners the dealers getting everybody ready to change embrace new technologies making marketing cloud work for you I think that is the future of our business as well, and we need as a company to enhance that, support it as how much we possibly can, because change is evident, evidently happening around us as well, cultural, but also unfortunately uh, from, a, from, a, from a temperature perspective. So we need to do our share, and I think the large automotive companies have all understood that, that we need to change. But the question is, how do you embrace that? Do you see that as a positive? Do you see that as a threat? Do you see it as an opportunity to become better and faster? Yeah. Roland, I'm so excited and <laughs> hyped about the future. Good. Thank you so much for work. talking with us today. Sure, it and that, my pleasure. It, it's a pleasure for us. Yeah. And we, we hope to see that happening, that we can go to a shopping mall and yeah. have a car park by itself. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to work sooner than you think. Okay, five years, you said five yeah. years. Anyways, thank you. And that's it for our Texas Global Podcast. You can stay tuned for more episodes or join our community at texas.co. Bye. Sparking innovative thoughts.